Live from the Dairy Queen, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kev. As always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. I know there's always a place for me at the Dairy Queen. That's right. This week, we are returning to the films of Christopher Guest for Waiting for Guffman. Mackenzie, this is our third Christopher Guest movie, if you could believe it. He, I think it's so funny that we can't for the life of us land on another franchise that we've started, but... The wheel is like, you will do every single film Christopher Guest has ever directed. Like, do we have the 50-foot woman on this wheel? Like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> like Spielberg makes sense because statistically he's got about 90 movies on the wheel. Yes. But this is ridiculous. I can't believe we're going to watch Almost Heroes from 1998 next. <laughs> With Chris Mascots Farley and win. Matthew Perry. Wow. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> audience now we, we were talking for like fully 40 minutes before recording and we are thinking up some just hilarious and great and wonderful secrets to eventually tell you in 2024 but we are we're high on life right now we were talking for so long we have to say that there was what we call in the podcasting industry a grande brouhaha going on over Austin Danger podcast in 2024 <laughs> i am not quite sure that people are prepared People thought that I have to, we have to figure out in our brand extension meetings, we have to figure out <laughs> this was the biggest year in Austin Danger podcast history. Statistics show, correct. We've yes. fulfilled our promise. Yes. What is the promise of 2024? I don't know because I'm even just thinking about our events and there's a lot happening in the new year. Um, the most eventful year in Austin Danger podcast history yet. The third year in Austin Danger podcast history. <laughs> I mean, there's no other year that could be the third year. The world is full of possibilities is what I'm saying. Yes. But no matter what you call it, the best is yet to come. Austin Danger podcast. Oh, my God. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. <laughs> and all of that actually gets started on next week's episode. Oh, Mackenzie, we've been holding back a big surprise. Yes. And it's time to let that surprise out of the bag. All right. The I mean, giant red bag <laughs> on the back of a sleigh. I mean, next Monday, it's Christmas. We yes. can't not do something. It's like the day of Christmas. Like, I mean, that's too perfect. Earlier this year, we did a film called Bull Welch's Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat. We all remember. But next Monday on Austin Danger Podcast on Christmas morning, welcome, welcome, Dabu Doris. We are doing Ron Howard's Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It is a big, loud, and ugly film. Oh! And I haven't seen it since VHS 20 years ago. Really? So I'm very excited. I remember bits and pieces, you know, Christine Baranski, future ADP legend as sexual Luhu. I mean, she's going to knock you on your ass. She knocks Jeffrey me on my Tambor. ass. Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, Jesus. That lead dad guy who is not William H. Macy, but may perhaps be Dylan Baker. <gasps> Bill Irwin. We may never know. Oh, Bill Irwin. Yes, mm -hmm, the legend. Clint mm -hmm. Howard. And Mindy Sterling, direct links. Direct links, and they're wearing the ugliest nose hats you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I have this logged on Letterboxd from 2020, so I watched it on Christmas Eve of 2020, apparently. Oh dear. Uh, first first Christmas in, in in the in quarantine, and I and I watched this. And uh I mean my rating is on Letterboxd, so you can go take a look at it. I don't want to know. <laughs> Withholding the tension of the star rating of the Grink. Oh wait, I'm making my poster a la hook. I'm making it without the one without any text to just him holding the broken thing. No text. You don't need to know. You see that green hand, you know what movie we're watching. That wicked hand. <laughs> Was there a scarier teaser poster, by the way, than Dobby from Chamber of Secrets? And it didn't even look like real Dobby in the end. Let me see. Let me look up that poster. We pulled over one day to the United Artists Theater that would later close and collapse. And uh, we saw that teaser poster. That scared the hell out of me. Is it just him standing in the middle of the... Oh, yeah. And if it says, Dobby has come to warn you, sir. And that's what it says yeah, on the poster. Yeah, creepy. It's, I mean, it's, I, like the, I like the color design of it with the blue on the one side and the yellow on the other. I think it's a good... It's very it's effective. It spooked me. Movie posters scare me sometimes when they're like big. <laughs> this is so crazy. I don't know how I worked in a movie theater with this weird condition, but like giant posters and banners like that really scare the hell out of me. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm how did sorry. We get here? It was, no. It's really funny. <laughs> we got here from How the Grinch Stole Christmas, though. It's important to say because that is what we are doing next week. You know this movie? You love this movie? Question mark. I don't know. If you want to send us some Christmas presents to open you can send us a letter or voicemail and tell us what you think about the grink oh yeah tell us what you tell us your grink thinks all the things you can think all the grink thinks put it in ink or a voicemail under 90 seconds <laughs> all the things you can thunk or uh, review the movie on letterboxd and we'll read your reviews merry christmas that's our christmas guarantee to you we will be reading <laughs> grink reviews next week on the show hell yeah dabu doris the top review, before we go, the top review on Letterboxd, I'm not reading the whole thing because it's it's pretty long, but the, they wrote reasons why Letterboxd should take this film more seriously. And just the first one is, Ron Howard's best film. Can you think of something better? I can't. And I'm almost inclined to agree with that. But we'll discuss next week. Oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about this. You have no, no idea. I've been waiting to talk about Ron Howard. Cocoon? Come on. I mean, I have in... I have a vendetta against him because of Far and Away, which is a movie that is hotly contested in our household because Rachel fucking loves that movie and I don't. Apollo 13 is an effective film. Frost Nixon is an effective film. Oh, he did Frost Nixon. That's so interesting. Solo, a Star Wars story is is a great, I don't know. Oh, he did of... Ed TV? Yeah, I can't wait to do Ed TV on this what show. What a weird filmography. Like, Ron Howard's filmography makes no fucking sense. Yeah, he'll do anything you want. No problem. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. He's like, I'm Opie. I don't care. Yeah, I'll come on the set. What are, what are we doing, Han Solo? Okay. What are we doing? Mathematician, schizophrenic guy? Yeah, let's that do it. That movie doesn't even make sense because they spent so much money on one movie that they had to end that movie and then start a new one. My teacher made us watch A Beautiful Mind in psychology class in high school, and I don't remember a thing about it. Other than all of us in class were like, why are we watching this movie? Yeah, no shit. I didn't see it. I was so mad. That was a great year to be mad about movies. Um, we've ta well, we've talked movies. about the, this. Uh, we've talked about that Oscars so many times. Yes, we did. Because yes, we, we have. have covered so many movies. And 
because ah, Robert Altman and David Lynch both lost to Ron fucking Howard that year at the Oscars. Can we hard segue right here? Let's hard segue. I don't know about you. I'm catching up on 2023 a little bit. Bit by bit, I'm putting my 2023 together. I'm trying and failing too, but yeah. Yeah, there's just too much stuff coming out. And like the stuff that's not in the theaters yet are not on VOD yet, so I'm just sort of in a weird holding pattern for so many movies. It's stacking and like people are counter-programming themselves, right? A24 has Zone of Interest and The Iron Claw, which are two movies like diametrically opposed on the scale of dramas, right? And um, Warner Brothers is trying to capture everybody at once with Wonka, Color Purple, and Aquaman. Um, good luck capturing person one with Aquaman, but I don't know. Wonka's on track. Reviews are good. I'm going to go. Sorry, I just saw something that I'll, I will say in my What You've Been Watching. I'm sorry, I've just gasped. I had to clutch my pearls. You'll all know why in about two minutes. This is a very dynamic episode. <laughs> I'm feeling cuckoo bananas today. Oh my God. This is going to be, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. This is where the, this is the part of my day where all of my anger and rage becomes jokes about community theater. <laughs> oh, um, no. What did I watch? I watched a bunch of movies with Parker Posey in them because of the Parker Posey Criterion Collection Boom. on the Criterion Channel. I watched Clock Watchers, which links to a previous episode because Alana Eubach of Nobody Knows Anything mm -hmm. is one of the leads. And she's very charming and very funny. And she's like very real. The she's movie is, actress. if you haven't seen that, she's a great actress. She's tremendous. Uh, it's a film by Jill Sprecher. I hope I'm getting that right. It's about four temps in like this office. I don't even know what they do. The four temps are Tony Collette, Parker Posey, Lisa Kudrow, and Alana Eubach. And it's it's very slice of lifey, very kind of easygoing until it's not. And then it becomes an interesting, an interesting take on kind of inter-office politics and how they affect interpersonal relationships and stuff like that. And it also perfectly captures like what it is like to be a temp. Somebody who is getting paid to do work, but does not belong at a company. And like, what does belonging at a company even mean? I think, I think this is the kind of movie you could do another one of these today. And then there's another whole dimension of like, do I want to belong to a company like that? What does mm -hmm. that even mean? Like, what does employment even mean? It had me thinking and it was very interesting. So that's on the Criterion channel, I think, through the end of the month, Clock Watchers. Uh, it's a great 90s indie. The cast is, I mean, at least those four seem like made in a lab for me. Like, I need to watch this movie. Yeah. And you know what I also realized is that this is a bit of a Christopher Guest reunion between Parker Posey, who's great, and Paul Dooley and Bob Balaban. Oh, my God, yeah. Bob Balaban, very funny in this film. Well, so that was great. Uh, I also saw Leave the World Behind, the new film by Sam Ismail on Netflix. Uh, no like, uh, kind of boring. What if a computer was bad for you? Mm, classic. I think there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that has attempted to be done. I feel like the movie is too long and there are too many visual tricks. It's kind of like we get what you're getting at with them in the first 10 minutes. And then he keeps going back to them in a way that was just really irritating. Um, I had some plot issues, but uh, I mean... I just didn't vibe with it. I get what people really responded to and dug. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't for me personally. I'm seeing a lot of mid stuff. Did I talk about Anselm on this show? It's kind of an artsier thing for us, but I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if like they picked it up on Criterion Channel or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, like with it's the, the new, new Vim Vendors. Oh, wait, Willie? 
Yeah, it's the new Vin Vendors documentary. He made two movies this year. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the the I yeah, I thought you meant the Perfect Days. I was really like I, I was so confused. No, I did see Perfect Perfect Days is great. I don't know when it's coming out. <laughs> but when you get the chance, you should see Perfect Days. And then Anselm is also excellent. It's a 3D documentary oh. about the German I, I don't even know how to describe this this artist Anselm Kiefer. Uh, he's a German artist who um, confronts and and discusses and dissects his own feelings about uh, Germany as a country in the time in which he grew up and in the post-World War II reconstructing Germany, who wanted, obviously, to turn back on its Nazi past. Mm-hmm. And Kiefer's art suggests that we must confront such things. Because they happened, and you can't unmake them happen. Ba- is is basically his thesis? A very controversial article to me, anyway. I'm very inexperienced. I never knew about this guy until I saw this film, and I just thought it was a captivating portrait, captivatingly told. And I could see if you know him, the film is still interesting because it's giving you that in an interesting way. Yeah, and then giving you new insights from vendors who went to his compound and shot all this interesting stuff. Uh, the 3D, I don't know is ne- if it's necessary. I wanted it not to be 3D very badly. Is there a reason why it's 3D? Or is it something to do with like the kind of art the artist does? Yeah, you nailed it. So it's very physical. It's like statues and like he built giant jets and all these things. He's a very physical artist. Even his paintings are three-dimensional. Yeah. Like he'll burn the canvas and he'll throw branches on there and all this. So there's like a need for the tactile feeling of a 3D experience. But maybe it's just because of the way I saw it and the way it was projected, or it was the 3D glasses, but I just didn't, I just didn't get it like that. I understood the intent, I just didn't feel it because of how it was shown. Sorry, while you were talking, I went to go check out, I'm like, how old is Vin Vendors? And this man is 78 years old, released two movies this year, and. If my count is correct, as I am was quickly counting on his Wikipedia, um, Anselm slash I guess Perfect Days, whichever one releases a second, presumably Perfect Days, uh, is his fiftieth film. Yeah, crazy. And he's still presumably gonna crank him out. Like what? An, what an artist! What an awesome guy! Want to know something crazy? What? Perfect Days and Anselm are the first and second Vin Vendors films I have ever seen. Whoa! I yeah, I was gonna say I only have ever seen one because I watched The American Friend recently. Our dear, dear friend Brandon. It's like his oh, favorite movie of all shit. time. He, that's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, shit. Okay, second and third. Okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> that, that, but that's the only film by him I've seen. Uh, but yeah, that is it. I gotta know what you're gasping about. So okay, um, I this week with my my dear friend Bridget. Uh, made her watch Bound. You know, you know me. I'm always getting my friends yeah. who've never seen that movie to watch it with me and love it with me. And every time I watch Bound, which is frequent, at least every couple months, I look at the 3.9 on Letterboxd. And every time I'm like, man, I can't wait till the day that movie gets to four, 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 a four average. And I was literally about to on this podcast say, everyone, if you haven't seen Bound, please go watch it and rate it highly if you liked it, so that it can get to four. I click on Bound. It has finally surpassed 4.0 average on Letterboxd. So Boom. no one go rate it low now. So just, you don't have to, don't, you, if you don't like it, just don't rate it. Because I, I took a screenshot. I've been aching for so long for that movie to uh, 
be the 4.0 it deserves and it would be a dream if it made it to the top 250 but uh yeah i just i had to shout that out because i it just made me so happy when i saw that it made it to 4.0 average um anyway i don't know I'll go watch bound if, if everybody if you are not aware it's my favorite movie of all time go watch it um it's the best um when but are we doing that, Austin pod? when are we doing bound i've done well i did it on uh escape hatch the podcast formerly known as doom pod that's right i i did do an episode on that i think forever ago I totally forgot that I did an episode on Bound. I had to do a disclaimer at the top of the episode for the fact that there were slurs in the episode from the film clips. Anyway, I digress. Um, we should do Bound and Austin Pod. Everyone, if you're listening and you haven't seen Bound, go watch Bound. Uh, like my friend Bridget. And I guess other than that, I didn't watch a ton. Uh, rewatched Isle of Dogs. Uh, liked it better the second time around. Um, I did, however, uh, yesterday, and I, I saw you eye emoji this review. I watched Witness for the Prosecution yesterday. Yeah. I would um, watch this bad. You need to fucking watch this. I think you are going to be obsessed with Charles Lawton in this movie because surely this man played Winston Churchill at some point in his life because he is like bumbling around and smoking and screaming. And it's just, he's so Churchill in this movie uh, in terms of vibe. And I just feel I was watching this going like this is a peak Kev character because he's just this like bombastic, like large man who is so fucking funny and so well acted. It's insane. Like, I think you're just going to I was I was I literally was like Charles Lawton's performance in this movie might be one of my favorite performances ever on screen. I put that in my review. I would say that this is one of my favorite performances I've seen in a very long time. I just couldn't believe how great this was. And I was like, this is a Kev performance. Like, you're going to love this too, I think. Roku.com. Rent. It's on Tubi also. It is on watching Tubi. It with, watching it with ads is a little weird, but I did do it that way. I'll probably do that. I have to be honest. $4 is $4. Who mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. But also like, hey, y'all, it's on Tubi. It's for free. There's a couple ads in there, but it's really, really good. Um, other than Charles Lawton, I fu- I just loved it so much. There's um, you know, Marlena Dietrich is iconic in it. Um, but I have you seen Blazing Saddles, Kev? I'm getting an eyes. I'm Come getting on. eyes. Yes. Okay. I just gotta make sure. Gotta make sure. The best. Sometimes people skip that one. I don't. It's the best. We'll watch it one day, hopefully. Um, awesome. you know, Lily von Stoop, Mad- the amazing Madeline Kahn, future ADP legend. Her character in that film, the I'm so tired, tired of being uninspired. You know that whole thing. Um, I did not realize that's just how Marlena Dietrich sounds. <laughs> so like when Marlena Dietrich, there's a part where she's singing a song and she just sounds like Lily von Stoop. And I was like, oh no, I did not realize that Madeline Kahn was just straight up doing a Marlena Dietrich. But that tracks for like, I think Mel Brooks's uh, sensibilities, but it did make her a little distracting. But, and she also attempts a accent later in the film. She attempts a Cockney accent and for you, Kev, and listeners, if you're watching this film, you get to the Cockney accent. It will threaten to ruin the whole film. You will feel scared. You will clutch your pearls. You'll go, oh, no. Oh, no. It just got so bad. Why is she doing this accent? And you're going to hate it. But then it'll be over in, like, five minutes, and then, like, the best shit you've ever seen will happen. So that is for you, Kev, and for listeners, because I was buckling under that accent. I was like, the movie's ruined. Get it out of here. Burn it with fire. And then the last 30 minutes is just so incredible. The last five minutes is some of the greatest shit I've seen in a while. I mean, I'm rambling at this point, but it really does feel like the blueprint, right, for this kind of courtroom storytelling. I'm sure, you know, you just watched Anatomy of a Fall, which obviously is referencing Anatomy of a Murder, but I think you'll probably see a lot of, I have to assume you'll see a lot of uh, Anatomy of a Fall 
in in witness for the prosecution but uh i'm rambling everyone go check this out go as blind as you can kev you should i think you would dig this movie i'm gonna watch this movie tonight <laughs> sorry i'm just I'm, I'm going off about this movie but it was really good tyron powers in it too he's great um that's the whole point of the show <laughs> what uh rambling yeah exactly it's great also i found out there's um there's so charles lawton is playing this barrister and he has a nurse and i was getting like vibes from the two of them and i was like are they gonna do a romance and I mean, you could maybe indicate there's a romance at the end with them, but I, I wouldn't say it's a spoiler. I don't think that's what the film does. It's not really about that. But I was getting, like, vibes from the two of them, and I was like, that's so weird. And I looked it up, uh, and that actress is Elsa Lanchester, and they were married. So that's why yeah. they had vibes. So when you watch it, uh, the actress that plays the nurse is Charles Lawton's actual wife in real life. Huh. An actress in her own right. So that's just a fun thing to watch the movie with, I think. But uh, speaking of... Billy Wilder. <laughs> I don't know. Whoop news. What does it all mean, Basil? It's December 13th, 2023, and there is no Austin Powers news. What did you think? I was hoping. I had my fingers and toes crossed. I feel like somewhere out there in some other alternate dimension, they're getting ready to do Austin Powers 4. <laughs> but Not this we don't dimension, live in that though. one. Not this dimension, so... So, Kev, without further ado, I would like you to deliver me into Blaine. Well, before you know it, everyone, rich and poor alike, had to have a Blaine stool in their home. The little town never knew what hit it. Footstool factories sprouted up like, uh, like toadstools. Everyone had a good job. Everyone was making a good wage. Blaine was on the map. It's the 150th anniversary of the town of Blaine, Missouri. And Corky St. Clair is going to put on a show. The show is going to be called Red, White, and Blaine, and it's going to tell the grand story of this small town. Cast and leads are the charismatic Ron Chile Albertson, who are travel agents, but also major theater people. Libby Mae Brown, a loyal Dairy Queen employee, Clifford Woolley, a retired taxidermist who plays the narrator, Johnny Savage, who, who Corky is very enthusiastic about getting into the show, and the dentist, Dr. Alan Pearl, who Wikipedia describes as tragically square, and I think I'm just going to leave that one as is. Nothing else I can say. <laughs> um, also, Bob Balaban is the MD, and he's really funny as he tries his best to put on the show. Uh, as the, mo the movie is basically the story of them trying to put on this show, the show is an absolutely hilarious, ridiculous, tone-deaf version of events. It, it tries to play like Oklahoma, but ends up closer to rats in an alley. Um, 
<laughs> There's a really weird song where Yuji Levy puts on an alien head because the town was a, was visited by aliens and people... Paul Dooley plays a guy who gets abducted, and so he sings a song about how Mars is boring and there's nothing to do. Um, it's very cute. But this whole thing is in service of a friend, an old friend, from Corky's off-off-off-off-off-Broadway dates, Mort Guffman, who says he will absolutely be at the show at the opening night of Red, White, and Blaine, and he will give his thoughts and etc. and see if the show can go to Broadway. Someone shows up and sits in Mort Guffman's seat, but it's not Mort Guffman. It's just some guy. Um, a snowstorm prevented Mort Guffman from getting there. Then, as in all Christopher Guest movies, the characters go their separate ways. The Albertsons now and pursue dreams of being entertainers in their own right. Corky, back in New York City, where he runs a gift shop with My Dinner with Andre action figures, Libby May at the Dairy Queen in the New Town, all, of course, starting their lives, but no longer waiting for Guffman. We got there. You got there. You got there. We got there. It's been a rocky week. <laughs> at I feel you. HQ, boys and girls. I am crawling. I am dragging myself to the end of the year. I'm like, please, those days off. Let's get there. Well, let me tell you, I had seen A Mighty Wind and was obsessed with A Mighty Wind. I had seen Best in Show and loved Best in Show. And then I just never saw Waiting for Guffman for years until college when, like, my girlfriend at the time just happened to have a copy. And I watched it, and then I watched it, like, again. I watched it, I think I've watched it two and a half times the first time I watched this movie because I just could not keep my eyes off it. I got to take my eyes off it. I love that. I mean, I don't remember which one I saw for it, but I think I might have seen Waiting for Guffman first because of the whole theater angle. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers, you know, I went to theater school. Um, and so, yeah, I think I might have watched it in college. I don't really remember. Like, I wish I could remember when I saw these guest movies, but... Loving this one when I first watched it and thinking it was super funny was definitely what led me to Guest in Show, which I think is still my favorite of of the films Guest has directed with this crew. Um, you know, also, you know, Into a Mighty Wind, which I like a little less, as we discussed, and to for your consideration that I think is better than people think. Uh, mm. I'm, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of of him as a director in these specific mockumentary films, but uh, Guffman is really, really good. And I, I yeah, I think I always... I was also struck by the heart in it and the the love it takes about community theater is something I really adore. And uh, yeah, when you got this, it's it's just the most like you and me movie because it's about like it's this type of comedy that we both love with a bunch of actors that we both love. And it's about theater, which is something we both love. Um, so it's like a very you and me movie, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and maybe we could use this to segue in. I think our biggest note about A Mighty Wind was the lack of heart. Right? Yes. Best in show, the characters are ridiculous and the situation is ridiculous. So you you find the humor that way. In Guffman, the characters are hopeless, but they're full of dreams and you wanna you want them to kind of succeed in their own way, even though you know the ceiling's low because of their own follies and whatever, right? A mighty wind felt way more mean spirited. I was wondering if we can kind of compare and contrast a little bit of mm-hmm. what we've covered and this new film. Because I feel like the difference is, again, the characters are hopeless and you know that they're hopeless. But in that hopelessness is a charm. And 
the community theater is such that it helps people who may perceive themselves as hopeless to find that hope and to find that if they're helpless, find them that help to make them who they want to be, at least for that night. I have two things based on what you just said. And one of which is, yeah, I I think that people have certain misconceptions or weird feelings about the community theater. Um, and I, you know, I, I went to theater school and there was a part of my life where I was like, I want to do theater for a living. And then I just like got to the real world and realized the truth of the matter. And like, you know, it's hard to get started in an industry like this when you don't have rich parents or you don't have certain uh, opportunities like right out of college and a pandemic hit like right after I got out of college. So it just didn't really work out for me that I was able to pursue that in the way I wanted. And as I've gotten older, my priorities have just changed. Like I, I want different things now. And uh, I still love theater and I would like to do it again, but I don't think I have the want to do it for my living like I used to think. And I think Rachel also has had a similar journey to me having gone to theater school and priorities have shifted. And we both were literally talking recently about how people shit on community theater but it's a place for adults to express themselves artistically like we act like doing theater recreationally is just a thing you do in high school why can't adults get together and do something that really fulfills them and they're not trying to get to broadway they're not trying to they have day jobs they have kids they have lives they're not trying to you know be the next meryl street but they want to just like create art and have community with other adults like i think community theater is actually a really beautiful thing and I've only been able to feel that I think as I've gotten older and I've really seen like the the wonder that it can bring to people. And that's something I love about the movie. I love watching um, specifically, you know, the doctor, the dentist. Um, why can't I think of his name? Dr. Poole? Dr. Pearl. Watching Dr. Pearl. And then, um, oh, and the other guy, the guy who's on the council who is like really transformed by the theater. And it's kind of indicated that he's that gay. That guy was awesome. That's my yeah. favorite character. He's great. And what I love is that like it shows there are just two examples of people who as soon as they engage in it, they realize how beautiful it is and it fulfills them so much. And it reminds me of we've talked about it before when I first saw Hairspray and that was like a life changing moment for me. I see that in those performances and I love that. And I especially love how the difference between a mighty wind you're right like a mighty wind does that mean spirited energy to this i feel the love so much for theater and community theater in this and that moment with him the, the guy on the council when he just wants to compliment corky and say it was amazing and that actor plays that so sincerely so seriously it's not a joke he was changed by the, the theater he just saw and i love how they let that just be a moment that's real like it's i i think the love is so palpable in this film I, I wonder about that. And as you were talking, I was wondering, I was picking it through in my mind. You know, A Mighty Wind was not very kind to folk music, which sure, whatever, like those comedians from that era would think that way about folk music, although they then said that they loved it. So I don't know. Maybe they do and that's their way of do. I don't know. I, I wonder if, I wonder if that's all on purpose. I wonder if the showing of the love and like that I wonder if the Michael Hitchcock character we're talking about. I think it's funny when he cries at Penny for your thoughts. Yes. I think that's so funny. But the reason that I think it's funny is because I, um, in the fall of 2018, saw a musical called The Prom. <laughs> and there's a moment at the end of The Prom where this character, the actor's name is Brooks Ashmanskas. I hope I got that right. Sorry. He's one of my favorite stage actors for this moment. 
he walks over to the mother and he's been high camp like all night. And he goes over and he goes, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to lose her. You're going to lose your daughter. And I lost my mind, shitting rain on my face, crying. Crying a prom. Prom is good. And then I, a fun and musical. Then I, then I saw the prom again and I was like, I'm very silly. But that's why I was, is because I've been at that moment in the theater at things that were just as ridiculous. But there weren't ridiculous to me because that's what it's about. And that's the magic. Like, I, yeah, rarely does a movie, it's very hard to capture that. I think it's next to impossible to capture it. Mm. Um, Especially, you know, we flirted with the idea of doing a a podcast about filmed stage performances, uh-huh. legally and illegally. And it's just so hard to capture that feeling. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm just thinking about how the Zaz got to you and the prom. The Zaz got me bad. The Zaz got, the Zaz got me so bad, I DNF'd <laughs> the movie after five minutes because I couldn't do Corden. Um, God, was... I was so Brooks-pilled. Were we recently talking about that intimacy of life performance? I was talking about that on some podcast, and I can't remember where that was. Uh, yes, we were. We were talking about it with Birdman, with the real Latina. Yes, with the real Latina. Boom. Thank you for having a better memory than me, Kev. Um, yeah, like that's the, that's the thing is like, right, that that feeling of like you are watching something that will never be watched ever again. Actually, recently, this week, a co-worker and I were both talking about how we both saw the original Broadway cast of the Adams Family musical. And each of us saw a night where Nathan Lane broke because of some you sort of love thing. This. But we each saw a different thing. It was a different night. We each saw Nathan Lane break to a different thing at a different time in the play. And that's the beauty is that like you only share that with the people in the room that night. And uh Yeah, and what you're saying there, like, that's what I love about it. Like him crying at Penny for Your Thoughts. It's funny because we know the song is goofy, but it's endearing because he is living in a world where this is genuinely the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And 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 maybe we're, we're, we're laughing at the quality of the theater, of the art here. Maybe these are people that aren't exposed to art a lot. They don't, they don't have examples to look forward to. They don't have these professional Broadway tours that are coming to their town to compare what they're doing to. This is it. And this is beautiful to them. And I love that they show the audience. And it's like not the joke necessarily. Them laughing and engaging and looking towards each other and enjoying the play together because this is good art in this world and I think that that's I don't know yeah that's something that I love about this is that I think that's where the you can tell that the people who made this really love what community theater stands for because they let these characters like be superstars like everyone in their town loves what they do and it's just I love the little um, community in jokes it makes Blaine feel so lived it I noticed that this time when he um you know, when Willard says, seems like they need a, uh, what is it, a travel agent. And the whole room laughs because they in the community know he's the travel agent in town. Yes, that's so like, good. It's so lived in. And then the love is there. And it's just this community. It's it's really beautiful. Like, I think out of all the films that Christopher Guest does that are all about specific communities, I think this one, more than any of the other ones, nail that feeling of community. I, uh, I'm walking on air. 
you know, I'm, uh, this is a sensation which is, forget it. When I became a dentist, I thought I was happy, but this is, uh, this is making me nervous now because I, I could have wasted a lot of years. And it hit me a lot um, watching it now because theater is in such dire shape. Yeah. Across the country, especially in places like Blaine, Missouri, where, I mean, I mean, sorry. I mean, in, in towns that are not where the big touring shows go. Yeah. Where you have to drive two hours to see Wicked every couple of years. Like, if you wanted to go to the theater, this is a vital, important thing. And it's just... Our arts yeah. in our country are severely underfunded. And yeah, people, if you don't live in in a city large enough, you might never be exposed to something like art and, and live theater and live performance. Uh, and we should all, we should all have more of that in our lives. Absolutely. I know we're talking about all the feelings of this movie and yeah, I, I do. Have a lot, I do like, I also find some of the characters a bit more tragic, like, you know, O'Hara and Willard, how they never left this town and like, they have these huge dreams and you see these dreams inside of them, but, uh, and obviously they don't have fully the talent to back it up but they love it and they try so hard and you kind of feel sad for them that they've never left town or even attempted their dreams that's why i kind of love their ending for what it is but like we're talking about these like sweet saccharine feelings but also the movie is like so funny i think one of the funniest things in on film ever is the raging bull sequence that is a fully 60 seconds Thank of this you movie for this. When the man enters and starts to do the raging bull thing by himself and it cuts to Christopher Guest as Corky doing that look. It's one of the greatest things and funniest things ever put on screen. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things in the world. I'm going to do a scene from the movie Raging Bull. You fucked my wife. What? You fucked my wife? How can you ask me a question like that? How can you ask me? I'm your brother and you ask me that? Where do you get the balls big enough to ask me that? Shit. Parker Posey f grilling a single bear chicken wing. No seasoning. Grilling a single chicken wing. Like, some of the things in this movie are some of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I love, I love that I know Fred Willard so well. That I know that just the way he's saying whatever he's going to say is going to be hysterical. The call, his one of his first lines is, Montezuma's revenge is nothing more than good old-fashioned American diarrhea. So he'll lose a few pounds. Like, that line is just so hysterical. When he's when they're doing the interspersing of, like, the crowd coming in with them in the dressing room, and Willard just goes, if there's ever a big pause, just say a line from any play, any line, as long as it's words, <laughs> or, or something like that, where he's just telling people to just start saying random lines from random plays like yeah his little things are so funny i love christopher guest in this movie i love parker posey they're like my, the highlights of this movie for me but i i love how lived in corky st Clair is i yeah. i love how you know i i i said this about the characters in best in show who i love who i know are uh stereotypes in terms of the gay characters but i love them because i see so much of rachel and i in those characters uh and corky is another again they're kind of they're kind of playing for comedy into a specific type of gay stereotype. But I, I just love Corky. Like, I love the way Guest plays him with such seriousness and real feelings. Like the scene where he gets really mad at the council for not giving him $100,000, which is such a funny scene. But he plays that anger and that betrayal really real. And I think for me, that's what it's about. Like, it's less about how you play the gay characters. But it's about do you respect the gay characters? And I feel like uh, 
I love this Christopher Guest performance. It just feels lived in. It feels like he respects the character. And he's just so funny. Like, his line readings are so funny. I'm just going to go home and bite my pillow. It's like everything he says. It's squeezing your boobies out. I, I heard this uh, this time when he was telling him about the hooking his thumbs in. He goes, yeah, when you squeeze your boobies out, really gets the sound out there. Like, like it's just, it's great. It's great. Did he say it's like a Hitchcock movie where you're put in a rubber bag and thrown into a car? He did say that, yes. What is, what? <laughs> his costume designs are hilarious. I love Quirky. His he's dancing, the first time he dances to that fucking hip-hop song and he moves his little <laughs> hips in those weirdly fit baggy jeans. It's the greatest thing in the world. Oh, what else we got? We got Parker. We got Eugene's funny. Catherine, I mean, Catherine's great. I, Her bangs. The bangs here. <laughs> the bangs are so good, Kev. They, I want to make just... sure one thing. Okay. Catherine O'Hara. Yeah. Fred Willard. Yes. Midnight at the Oasis. Yes. Top two movie moment for me, I think. What's Top number one? Two. I don't know. Is one Kong in New it York and King Kong 2006? Sorry? Is it Kong in New York from King Kong 2006? Is that oh, number one? I don't know. Yeah. I had to think about that. But it's up there. It didn't, it, you know. Yeah. One of the great moments of all time. Who could, who could be knocking up my door at the Oasis Hotel? Oh, it's you. Am I late? Am I late? You. Surprised? How did you find me? I have my ways. Would you like to come in for coffee? You don't need to answer. There's no need to speak. I'll be your belly dancer, prancer. And I will be your sheep. I don't need a harem, honey. When you're by my side. And you won't need a camel, no, no, when I take you for a ride. It's so brilliant. It's so funny. It's, yeah. And also, I feel like her bangs are like that scary movie bit where the hat keeps getting bigger every scene. But it's like her bangs get more and more like vertical every scene. Uh, it's It's really... It's so funny. And like them together, they're so funny. I, I, I obviously wrote that the Albertsons are us. Like us in that scene, next time there's a there's a meetup and we're both at it, we're doing this scene. Like this is the most this is us awesome thing. Danger podcast. Yeah. Like that that scene is awesome danger podcast in a nutshell to me. Help, I'm Austin Danger Podcast in a nutshell. <laughs> How did I get in this nutshell? How did I get in this nutshell? Kev, do you want to pop some corn? Yeah, let's pop some corn. Kind of talk about popcorn notes. These are honorable mention notes we take during the watching of the film. You know, if there's new people coming onto the pod for the Waiting for <laughs> Guffman episode. Can I start? Because I, I just have to read you the first one. I'm immediately like, wow, we didn't mention this guy. But my first popcorn note is understated future ADP legend. Underrated future ADP legend Larry Miller returns. Larry Miller. Larry Miller yes. immediately. Yes. My first note is also Larry Miller. He is an underrated ADP legend, I think. He gets the first belly laugh in the movie. Wasn't it? Is he when he says, a rifle here, a rifle here, a rifle there, <laughs> rifle over there. Remember all those kids that egged us? Like his whole 
shtick is so and when he when he laughs at the one hundred thousand dollars later it's he's, he's like i'm sorry but are you crazy or whatever however he says that is so funny you know what's funny is that the the Meeks cutoff film by Kelly Reichard is about a similar thing to the founding of Blaine, Missouri in real life. That's absolutely wild. Where some dude showed up and led a bunch of people around for basically no reason. That's very funny. Yeah, when we do 10 Things I Hate About You, that's got to be when Larry Miller becomes a legend. Because that Stay is tuned. a legendary performance. He was in both Prentice uh, Diaries as, as well. Stay tuned. I'll never know. <laughs> anyway, um... Corky St. Clair, I, I had a memory. I think I like Berenstein Bears to, to myself into thinking that Corky, like we see a wife. Uh, obviously we don't. And obviously he's saying he has a wife because he's closeted. And that's the joke is that he's very obviously gay, but oh, he's in the closet. But I'm also wondering, um, I mean, the wife's not real, right? She's fake. Because in my brain, when he was like, I'm buying dresses for my wife, I thought maybe he was buying like drag for himself, maybe. Um I can't tell if I know if Corky's wife is real or not. I can't tell if she exists or not. I I feel like that's part of it. Mm. Very anatomy of a fall homage. <laughs> Very Homaging a film from 25 years later. Oh my gosh. Um, I did write this point in my notes. Christopher Guest and Jamie Lee Curtis are the unofficial king and queen of ADP. Oh my God. The photos I got in the yes. ADP DMs. I was DMing Kev. I'll post some on Instagram. Jamie Lee Curtis, Christopher Guest. They've been together for so long and they seem so deeply in love still. That's They're kind of a couple goal. It's great. Wild. Wild. Um, <laughs> then right after that, I wrote Teacher's Pet. That sequence, another great... Uh, moment in the auditions that are just generally deeply funny that whole audition scene is just very funny from raging bull into the into the, the oasis into you know camp town races into teacher's pet it's really great stuff camp town races my god <laughs> uh and speaking of dr pearl i wrote it's so goofy but dr pearl being so exhilarated after his first rehearsal is what it feels like like it kind of yeah. it nails that feeling of when you feel you found your place like that's what i love about it it's if it's real it feels so real um i like the line he's teaching me how to change my instincts or at least ignore them um you know kind of a joke because you want to act on your instincts as an actor uh the old fart hat incredible i need it uh i think the idea of rehearsing in random locations is so accurate to uh no budget and community theater because they were um in a car dealership rehearsing at one point which, yeah, when I was in college and we were doing plays for free, it was like anything outside of the school. It was like finding a place to rehearse was like we would be in a park if we needed to. <laughs> like you just kind of go where a space is. It's great. Um, I think the one joke in the film that doesn't work for me is the dinner sequence where O'Hara, I guess, is an alcoholic and the penis reduction surgery is kind of the joke of the scene. That's like the one scene that doesn't work for me, but it also feels like a very Willard joke that makes it like it definitely seems like a joke Willard wrote. Right. I don't know. Like, I, I love him so yes. much, but I just think if I could snip one thing out, I just don't think it's needed because they don't really follow up on. Um, I don't know. They don't really follow up on that relationship between the four of them. You would what? Sorry. So, <gasps> snip it out. I say snip it out. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's like the one part I would get rid of. It just doesn't really work for me. Um, oh, I, I wrote because you're bastard people, and I couldn't remember what I, that was. For <laughs> it was because you're bastard people. 
Uh, great. Um, there was one point where Parker Posey was wearing a crop top that is just the top part of a overalls. It's like huh. overalls without pants. She looked incredible. I, I'm mostly bringing it up because it was like a crop top overall. I, I don't even know huh. how to describe it. It was a very strange shirt, but she looks great. She also just looks great in this movie, period. But um, I always have a place of the Dairy Queen. My favorite line in the movie, perhaps. I hate you. I hate your ass face. Another great line reading. I love how professional the orchestra looks. How like it looks like for a second I thought I had turned on the red shoes like that's how serious that orchestra looked for for the point five seconds they were on screen. Oh my god! What about what about Bob Balaban as the wacky conductor? It's so funny. so great, so great. Um, oh, that's where I wrote just say a line even if it's from another show. Um, I love the in jokes for the community and uh, my last note is Stool Boom. Unironically, great song. Stool Boom. From the it's the best. To the floor. Like it's really good. It's a really good song. Kev, pop me some corn. I took down the posters that Corky has on his wall. One of them is "We'll dance till the cows come home." the The one that I really wanted to get was Cornelius McGillicuddy and his truly amazing flying machine, the far out musical happening, which is just. Mm, there's like a decade of off-Broadway shows called this exact name. So that's pretty <laughs> damn funny. Um, I love that he did a backdraft show, kind of calling forward. This is another future homage to Rushmore, which is pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Shout out, surprise, David Cross cameo as the UFO enthusiast. I thought that was great. He's doing his classic kind of news guy voice that he would be using on Mr. Show around this time, which is cool. Paul Dooley alien induction is hilarious. I love the quirky costume design of like a vague looking man wearing a shirt. (laughs) And the last thing I want to call out is that um, one of my favorite things in a movie ever is Eugene as the alien going barring, barring, barring. And I wish I could make (laughs) a gif of everybody swinging their arms around yelling, boring, boring, boring. I will try to find that for you. That's what I will spend tonight doing. Please. I mean, if you want. I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to. That's the only thing I want to do. That's my corn. That's all the corn I've got. I'm corned out. <laughs> well, Kev, do you have a final uh, final thought, overall thought and star rating for me? At the beginning of this segment, I told you I watched it twice on the first day. So that should probably give you some idea. Um, it's one of the greats i love this film five stars hell yeah yeah i mean i've always rated it like four and a half i think just because i like best in show so much better and sometimes i just like i hate that one random joke in the movie but you know i don't know i want to stop being as picky and i'm just going to give this five stars it's great i think it and best in show are the upper echelon of the guest films um that he directed obviously there's one he didn't direct Spinal Tap that is also very, very good. But, like, I think that these are of the ones he directed, this and Best in Show are definitely the best two for me. And uh, Best in Show will always be my number one baby. But this is a very close number two. It, it's too close to my heart for me to dislike it. So, yeah, five stars. Hell yeah. That's the 900th 10 bang on Austin Danger podcast. <laughs> and you can believe it. Sorry Congratulations. That we're movie lovers, okay? Sorry that we like movies. So sorry. Are we ready to move on? Let's do our little show. I love gold. 
at the Independent Spirit Awards in 1998, many movies that uh, we've covered, whether here or on Criterion Connection, you'll see uh, Heart 8 was nominated for Best Cinematography, lost to Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love. So we've covered this before. Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love, I think, is Mira Nair, actually, of Mississippi oh, really? Masala fame. Fascinating. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Yeah. That's got to be it. Anyway, uh, Best Director that year had our, our friends Paul Schrader and Vim Fenders. Whoa. Chasing Amy, nominated for Best Feature, alongside Whoa. Waiting for Guffman. Whoa. And they both lost to... Titanic? No. The is Apostle. This... I don't even know what that is. What the fuck? I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is either. Hey, Criteria Connection alum Eve's Bayou won Best First Feature as I scroll through here, so Fuck that's yes, cool. Fuck uh, yes, deserved. Amazing movie. Everyone go watch it. Robert Duvall for The Apostle, Best Male Lead, beat Christopher Guest and Philip Baker Hall. Rob. From Heart 8. Chasing Amy beat Waiting for Government and Best Screenplay. Ooh, conflicted feelings about that one. Um, also at the Lone Star Film and Television Awards, Woody Forguffman and Christopher Guest won Best Film and Director, respectively. So that's exciting. Hell yeah, I love it. And we thank you. And we thank you. Moving on now to the Alan Parsons Project. This is our ongoing project to link the film of the week to the Austin Powers trilogy. Obviously, our major link is Fred Willard, the great Fred Willard. We love him. He was the best. Talk about him. It's death on this show. Yeah, we've talked about him so many. Because he hasn't he been in films? I mean, obviously he's in Austin, but like, has he been in? I feel like we've done more Fred Wood films outside of just these. I would be curious to check our letterbox stats on that. Is that for sure? I can tell you right now, we'll be talking about Fred Willard when one day we cover epic movie. Are Ooh. you fucking kidding um, me? <laughs> or let's see. He did a lot of TV. <laughs> he did a lot of television. Uh, Anchorman, mm. Chicken Little, Chicken Disney's Chicken Little. I've never seen Chicken Isn't Little. Isn't Date Movie too? Come on. Oh, God. Look, the list goes on. We love Fred Willard, and we'll talk about him forever until we run out. I also want to talk about Craig Byram from the art department, who will allow us one day to cover the 1998 Godzilla, mm. the 1997 Volcano. Mm which looks like a wild one. And get this, the 2013 Park Chan-wook thriller Stoker with Nicole Kidman. Oh, wow. So that's exciting. Finally, the Alan Parsons Project this week, Michael O'Farrell from the sound and editing departments. We will cover Eastern Promises, Cosmopolis, and Dinner for Schmucks, thanks to this man. So thank you always. There you are, you're over there. We have no use over there, but if you would like to be over there, you can send us a letter or voicemail, as I said earlier, at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can talk to us about waiting for Guffman, about Christopher Guest, about anything you want, uh, or even The Grink, the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, as we are watching next week. So we are not spinning the wheel this week because we're going to give you a little Christmas special for uh, Christmas Day under your tree. Next week on Austin Danger Podcast, we begin... Our long-awaited, long-term project on the <laughs> filmography of Ron Howard. No! <laughs> no! James Carey, Christine Baranski, Jeffrey Tambor, uh, Bill Irwin, Molly Shannon, Taylor Momsen, a dog. 
A sleigh. Yeah. A birth of Christ. <laughs> Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But until then, for Mackenzie, this is Kev. Ho, ho, ho. Awesome day to podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. <laughs>